welcome to the Building Bridges podcast, a platform for bettering LDS interfaith relationships. I'm your host, Taylor Niebergall. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, having a faith crisis can sometimes create a rift in relationships between those who leave and those who stay. The goal of this podcast is to equip listeners on either side of that rift with the tools that they need to start building bridges, crossing chasms, and ultimately, healing relationships through mutual respect and understanding. Each episode will feature bold perspectives as we explore topics that can create these rifts, validate the struggles that they pose, and discuss tools you can use to literally bridge the gap. Let's get to building! Hey everybody, we are so fortunate to have someone with us that I really look up to and respect. This is Martelyn Nielsen. I'm saying that right, Martelyn? Yeah, just say Marty though. This is Marty. Marty. This is Marty and she's really awesome. And so what we're about to hear is um, a presentation she made in sort of like a Zoom format. And so Marty, Marty, I'll just call you Marty. Can you tell us exactly how this presentation came about? Who the audience was? Um, it sounds like you had some slides, like a PowerPoint. Just tell us a little bit about this presentation. Okay, so I am a part of a, a good the Good Book Club, and it's so uh, Rebecca Biblioteca is the gal that is she keeps it going. She organizes it, and then there's some other people that are that help her. And anyway, she just came up with this idea: Hey, let's do like a mini series on just things that we want to learn. And she knew that I was, I don't know, I feel really strongly that like we should try to get along with people that don't completely agree with ourselves. And so um, anyway, I, I can't remember how it came up, but she's like, oh, I think you should do a presentation on that. And so I prepared one and just had some points that I thought were relevant to trying to get along with people that you don't fully agree with. <laughs> and things that have helped me and some of my experiences that have been positive. And so, yeah, so that's how I put this presentation together. And so I presented it at a meeting with the book club members and actually recorded it. And so, yeah, you, I'm sharing the audio with you. (laughs) Well, I am so glad you did everyone. You were in for a treat. Marty is really brilliant. I think I think she's very mature, very thoughtful in her discoveries and has made a really great and thorough presentation with her book club group. And I'm yeah. glad that you shared it with me. Um, I don't know Marty super well, but we um, connected over Facebook and she knew that I did this podcast and she told me she was going to have this presentation. She said, oh, Taylor, you should listen in. And I'm not a part of this book club, but thank you for inviting me. I, I loved it. and. I hope everybody else enjoys it as much as I did. So thank you. Thank you for yeah. sharing. I'm glad you came. You're, you're always, you're very thoughtful as well. So it's hard finding those kindred spirits that are willing to like talk across difference divides. So I am glad that we connected. Without further ado, we are going to give Marty's recording a listen. I will give a little language disclaimer for anybody that wants to have a disclaimer on that. And she's got a couple of friends that join in within the book club group that give some thoughts that we decide to keep in here as well. So enjoy. Let me tell you a little bit about ourselves. So I would say that our collapse of belief where like things changed for us was probably the end of 2019. And then COVID hit was really easy for us to just kind of disappear. And then as church started back up, people didn't recognize that anything had changed for us. And we started getting called to do things for church. And so we thought just to let people know where we were at, we thought it would be good to resign and for a lot of other reasons. But anyway, we resigned um, early last year. So it's been about a year. And before my belief really collapsed, um, one of the biggest fears I had was losing relationships. And um, today I feel like I can say that I haven't really lost any relationships, um, but I do have to admit they aren't the same. I am not an expert you can take what's useful and you can leave what's not. And I'm not trying to claim that what has worked for me is going to work for everyone. You get to decide. And that's just so important to me. Um, I don't want to anyone to feel like I'm preaching to you. Um, I'm, I've tried when I wrote this out to use language that is very self-reflective and not like we should do this. 
So, um, but I, that's really important for me to, to, for you to figure out where you're at and then you take the next step forward and don't try to think that I'm trying to tell you what to do because <laughs> I don't know what's best for you. You do. <laughs> like I had someone ask me once, like, why do you think it's so important? And I really didn't know how to answer it. And so I thought it would so I did some self-reflection. I, I feel like it helps me avoid echo chambers. I prefer rich and deep relationships over shallow and surface level relationships. I feel like I can make new friends and I'm totally fine making new ex-Mormon friends, but I can't make a new mom or a dad or a brother. And all of my family is still in. Um, my best friends going up are all still in. And so, and then the other thing is like, I really can't explain my strong desire for it. Like, it's just, I feel instinctive that it's important. So I, I'm trusting my intuition and I just am going down this path. Um, I also consider it a skill and I feel like the more I practice, the better person I'll be. This is a quote by Brene Brown. I love this book. Um, People often silence themselves to agree or agree to disagree without fully exploring the actual nature of the disagreement for the sake of protecting the relationship and maintaining connection. But when we avoid certain conversations we, and never fully learn how the other person feels about all the issues, we sometimes end up making assumptions that not only perpetuate, but deepen misunderstandings and that can generate resentment. If you want true connection, sometimes you can't just be superficial in your relationships. Pretty early on, I read Feeling Good Together by David Burns. I was actually looking for Feeling Good by David Burns, but it was unavailable, and this one was available, so I decided to read it. It turned out to be like a relationship book. As you were reading it, he had you have someone in mind that you had a troubled relationship with. I felt like it was super useful. Uh, the claim he makes is that there are ways that we can shift ourselves that can positively impact our relationships. Um, I really liked his advice. It empowered me. Um, and it's, it wasn't always easy for me. I had to let go of my ego to see where I can improve, but it also gave me the power to improve it as well by like saying, well, if it is some, my fault, then that means I have, I can't change other people, but I can change myself. I found a clip on YouTube on Neil Satin's YouTube page. He interviewed David Burns and I'm just going to share a couple of clips from that interview. Here's the first one. Or if you're at conflict with, with a colleague or a friend, is that you go to the therapist, you say, oh, I'm not getting along with my sister, my mother, my spouse. And uh, the, the, the therapist assumes, okay, well, this person wants a, a joyous and loving relationship. But often nothing can be further from the truth. The person doesn't really want a good relationship with the person they're, 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 uh, they're complaining about. And, um, and then if the therapist tries to help that person, they, they will resist the treatment. That's called outcome resistance because the, the person doesn't want to get close to the person they're, they're ticked off at. And, and the way I bring this out about it in uh, workshops, um, and we could even do the experiment with, with the listeners right now. Great, let's do it. As I say, um, just to bring this idea to, to life, imagine one person you, you don't like. Uh, can you think of one person now or at any point in your life, someone you kind of deeply resent and maybe they're, they always have to be right or they won't listen uh, or uh, they're, they're controlling, uh, they, they, they can't share their feelings, they're, they're always exploiting other pe people, uh, narcissistic, you know, and how many of you can think of someone like that? And so all the hands go, go up. And then I say, now let, let's imagine there's a magic button on right on the desk in front of you. And if you press that magic button, that person who, who you're, you're so ticked off at, who you so deeply resent, will instantly become your greatest friend in, in the whole world with no effort at all. How many of you are gonna press that, that magic button? And then people laugh and maybe if you've got a group of 200 in the workshop, maybe one or two hands will go up. And then I say, now notice what just happened. I, I, I just gave you the choice between a hostile, abusive, troubled relationship, a mean-spirited one. And then it kind of dawns on, on people, yeah, I, I, I don't really want to get close to that, uh, to that person. Okay, that's good. And so 
the first we could listen to this whole podcast and it would be better than me. So maybe I'll have a link to that whole thing because I thought it was um, good. But he, he goes on and he talks about like, do we secretly love to hate? And the way that he writes his book and he has you go through some um, exercises to figure out what motives are competing with um, your intimate relationship that with this other person that you have in mind that you seem to want to have a good relationship with. Um, and sometimes we'd rather blame, we'd rather be right. Um, we, we want to get back at them. They started it. Um, so you have to decide, do you really want to get close to this person? And that, that he spends like a whole chapter at the beginning of the book, really trying to get to the bottom because you're not going to be able to get closer. You're not going to be able to do anything if you don't really want to do anything. Um, and there's no right answer. Even he even gives you a lot of, uh, options. He says, you don't have to have a good relationship. You can choose to end the relationship or you can choose to keep going as it's going, or you can choose to work on these things that can help, but there's no right answer, but you do have to be the person that decides. The second issue is called process resistance. And I ask and ask the listeners right now, if, if you did want to get close to that person, what is one thing you're going to have to do that you're probably not going to want to do. In other words, what process will you have to get engaged in to, to, to make that relationship work, to make that a loving, convert that hostile relationship to, to a loving one? And, and, and to help people answer that question, I, I, then I ask the audience, and we can ask the listeners now, who in your heart of hearts do you think is more to blame for that relationship, the person you're not getting along with? Uh, the person you don't like, Who, who's the bigger jerk, you or the other person? And then people right, generally it's obviously start, the other person. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's the other person, put your hands up, but then, you know, 95% of the hands go up. And I say that, or 80% anyway, 80 or 90%. And then I say that's the way it is in, in, in our culture. We're always telling ourselves that it's the other person's fault, and we see ourselves as, as, as the victim. And then I say to the audience, what is the prognosis for helping a troubled relationship when, when, with helping someone who says, it's the other guy's fault, it's her fault, it's, it's his fault? And they say, yeah, the prognosis is, is zero. If it's all their fault, I mean, that could be true. Maybe it is all the church's fault. Maybe it is all um, this other person's fault that you may be trying to have a good relationship with. But if that's the case, then the chances of you being able to do anything about it is zero. So are you willing to give up blame and pinpoint your own role and then spend your efforts on changing yourself rather than the other person? Because changing other people doesn't always work well. I appreciate the, the guy that was doing this interview on here was a great interviewer. And he basically said, what if it's not worth the relationship? Like, what if they are so difficult that it's not worth it? And um, anyway, this is him asking that question. So I thought it was really good. It's like, what if the other person really like, let's just say, okay, for the, for the time being, David, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to take a hundred percent of the responsibility for my side of things. And I'm just going to give that my all. At what point would I be able to say like, you know, actually I've been giving this my all and that other person really is an asshole and I need to get out of here or. Um, well, as the Buddha said, uh, 2,500 years ago, there are no assholes in the United States at this time. <laughs> there are assholeish behavior exists. We all do that. But, uh, uh, but, but, the, but the question is, is ultimately a personal one uh, of, uh, uh, you know, what are the advantages and disadvantages of, of working hard to make this relationship better what are the advantages and disadvantages of getting out of the relationship and and what are the advantages and disadvantages of of, of the status quo when you i always tell people when you have a troubled relationship that's that's the decision you you, you need you need to make and and uh, I, i'd be glad to work with you if you want to make the relationship better and i've got some fantastic you know, powerful tools for, for doing that. But if you want to leave the relationship, I would totally support you in, in that decision as well. And if you want to stay in the relationship and, and do nothing to change it, you know, I, I, I can accept that, that choice as, as well. But beyond that, if, if someone wants to make a relationship better, then I always work uh, through, through specifics. 
Okay, that's like, good. There it is. If they really are the asshole and you can't get past that, you have choices and you don't have to do anything. Um, you can just stay and do nothing. You can leave or you can stay and try to make it better. So once you get past those two barriers and you decide, yes, I am willing to work on what I can work on. He goes through different techniques um, to effective communication. Um, the first one, and he, in that podcast, if you listen to it, he has an example that he kind of runs through all of these different things. If you're interested, you can get a little snippet. It's like an hour long, or you could read the book or listen to the audiobook. So the first one is disarming. And so it's, if you've been told something to find truth in what they say, even if it's unfair and untrue. And he bases this off the law of opposites, which is you defend yourself, you're proving their criticism, right? So like by even engaging in an argument, um, you're actually giving them some ground to stand on. And so you can, you can disarm that by finding whatever little bit of truth in what they're saying and you, um, you grant that to them. Um, the other one is uh, thought empathy and feeling empathy. So thought empathy is repeating their words so that they know you got the message. And then feeling empathy is acknowledging how they probably feel. So like I'm thinking of like my parents, uh, we went to Thrive and Alan and Katie Mount's talk was um, an eye opener for me. And it made me wonder how my parents are doing. So here I am struggling in all my pain and discomfort. And I was like, I wonder how they're doing. Cause there is pain on their side too. And so I came back and, um, and I just asked them how they might be feeling. Um, and it opened up a really nice conversation. It was just a good way to get into a conversation, just asking how they're doing instead of just always wishing they would ask me how I'm doing. And the next one is inquiry. So you ask them, you ask them gentle questions about how they are uh, feeling and thinking. You're not trying to like, uh, trap them or anything like that. Um, assertiveness. So this one is really cool. I feel statements, um, totally worth trying. This works even when I'm having a five. <laughs> so like, instead of, instead of being like, you did this and you did this, you did this, you use, I feel statements. And the, the reasoning behind that, he talks about this in the book is that if you use, I feel statements, people can't argue with your, how you're feeling. They can't, I mean, if you say you did this, they can argue back. Right. But if you say, I am feeling this way, um, it's a very powerful way to, um, express how you are feeling in a direct way, but it's still gentle and it's still opening and it's not threatening to them because you're not blaming them for doing, for making you feel that way. You're just telling them how you're feeling. Um, and then stroking, um, he, he said he didn't like that word, but he couldn't find any other word to use for it, <laughs> but he, uh, it's basically you need to convey warmth and love, even when you're really struggling. Um, and I have, I was going to share this later, but I think this is what I did on accident. Um, I was when, when I very first told my parents that I didn't believe anymore, a lot of church topics came up. A lot of really heavy conversations came up and, um, over a period of like a month or two, that's all the interactions with my dad that I had, that was it. It was, they were all really negative. Um, there were times where I was in tears. A lot of mean things were said. I'm sure I said things too. And, um, I was reading another book totally unrelated, but this, I had this epiphany kind of unrelated. It was, it was a, like a political kind of book. It wasn't, um, they were talking about, uh, the gay rights movement and how that, battle was won according to the author I was reading by drawing the circle bigger around people. So they started putting ads in New York city that were like, this is your firefighter. This is your servicemen. These are your daughters. These are your brothers. These are your family. These are us. They drew the bigger circle. And so it made me have uh, an epiphany that I like, what do I have in common with my dad? I need to focus on that and not what we had. We no longer have the church in common. So I can't focus my relationship on the church anymore. And so I was like, what do we have in common? And I was like, well, he's my dad and I love him. And so I was at my parents' house helping them paint a house, a room. And he was out in the shop and I just went outside and I gave him a hug and I gave him a kiss on the cheek. And that was it. I just left. That was all I did. And it really, really helped. And so you really do have to convey the love that you have for these people in your life as well. Here are some common 
things as I've been going through this, I have been really trying to grow up and not just flip flop. So, you know, as a member, I remember believing that um, people that leave the church are deceived by Satan, um, that they don't have a true testimony, that they just are falling for anti-Mormon lies, that they're just lazy. And all of those things have in common. They're all dismissive. They're all dismissive of the real reasons that people leave. And I notice now being in the ex-Mormon space and after having some time to heal and re I've worked on some relationships with members, I've realized how many dismissive things I've been thinking oh, you're just brainwashed. Like that's a very dismissive thing to say. They believe they are doing the right thing. And then you, someone tells them they're just brainwashed. It's just a very dismissive statement. I have another friend that went through a faith crisis and he was describing it to me. And he, as he was describing it to me, he basically said, oh, I guess, I guess you probably don't think it's a real faith, faith crisis. And then it was a true dark night of the soul. He went, he told me all about it. And I was like, I, that would be very dismissive of me to say that wasn't a real faith crisis. So, um, there are plenty of people that know all of the things and they, and they, and they stay and that, um, should be okay with me. They're just doing mental gymnastics. Uh, they're uninformed or uneducated or, or whatever. As I've been trying to, um, mend relationships, I try to not only avoid those statements, but actually not believe them anymore. Cause, um, I don't, I think beliefs are, are a lot deeper just philosophically. I think our beliefs are we think we understand ourselves, but I don't think any of us really do. I think we're a lot more in common with people we disagree with than um, people than, than we think, I guess. Um, and so, uh, and then I've noticed that as I have, I've done this, so I'll get in heated debates online, <laughs> which is probably dumb, <laughs> but we'll start getting into it. And it gets to a point where I can, they're bearing their testimony to me. And when that happens, I usually just tell them something like, I can tell this is very important to you. Um, thanks for sharing. And I, I wish you the best. And almost immediately they reciprocate and they say something similar. Like, I know you're just trying your best. And it, it, it just, it diffuses when you are able to accept people for what they're actually saying they believe. Um, it just really diffuses a lot. And, and I've, had this epiphany before this aha moment. I want to be supported in my decision to leave. So even though it's, and I don't want them to be trying to save my soul. (laughs) So I need to do the same thing and support them where they're at and also not try to save their soul. I've also learned, uh, like, especially my adult family, like they're big boys and girls who know how to use the internet. And when they're ready to like willingly expose themselves to the criticism that I feel like changes things, They'll do that, I think. You had a comment. Go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt your mojo, your flow here. Well, I'm at the end of a slide, so you're good. <laughs> oh, so no, just the things you've been talking about. It just reminds me the evening that I spent with uh, about uh, 60 of us and uh, Jana Spangler. Some of you know Jana. Uh, she was teaching us about space for one another. And um, Marty, you said something about how it, it seems like this is new for many people on both sides of the equation as we get into this into the this relationship with the church in the middle and and i've experienced this with siblings where this is new for them they've never had a brother who or a sister-in-law or anything like this happen and i've never been in this situation and it sounds like you haven't been in this situation where you've left a church after umpteen years so so if we are thinking about one thing that we can do and strive to do or just and you've brought it up you really have it's 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 just recognizing uh even if the other person doesn't recognize it if we can recognize it that we need time and they need time and they may not know it because we're better than they are no i'm kidding (laughs) they just don't know it or they they may not they may know it but it's so hard so i'm just talking just space is what we want and when Jana was talking to us, it was like, we have to offer that space up to the other folks that we're, we're interacting with. So yeah. I just, that, it just made me think about that. Cause this is all new, new in many different ways for many of us. It yeah. sounds like for you too. Yes. So I'm, I hear you. Yes. We're all stumbling and learning together. <laughs>
For sure. So another Brene Brown quote, um, people are hard to hate close up, move in. And that is so true. Um, you would be surprised. You think you know what other people can handle. Um, but when you move in, um, it's amazing how much uh, people are willing to accept you. I have my whole first episode of my podcast is just talking about how I don't feel like for time I'm, I'm learning that I belong anywhere, but for a long time, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. I didn't belong in the church. I didn't belong out of the church. I politically lean conservative. So as many of us know, the, the ex Mormon space is very left-leaning. And so I was like, well, maybe I got to keep my political views to myself because people aren't going to accept me. And I couldn't be more wrong. Um, generally, if you're just not an asshole about it, people are very willing to be, be close to you. And, um, it, I, it matters less than I thought, I guess. So, and all of these, these, these are great, uh, speak truth to bullshit. Like, I don't think you have to stay in a room if someone's saying something you don't like, but you can be civil about disagreement. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Um, holding hands with strangers, um, kind of similar to that first one, strong back, soft heart or soft front, wild heart. So, you know, standing, I think you can, you can think what you think, that's what strong back means to me. Um, soft front means I might be wrong. A wild heart, just like be brave, um, be willing to learn. Um, anyway, the, her whole book is really good. I highly recommend it. Some of the things that I've learned. So a lot of times we leave and we assume everybody in that's in the church must believe the way I did. And it's because I believe I was wrong. Now they are all wrong, but um, some, a huge thing I've learned is that no two members believe the same. And it's like, I knew that while I was in there too, but I've learned it in a different level. Like there, there are some people that seem to have a healthier relationship with the church than I did. And I can support them in staying because of that. It's okay to give members an off ramp too. So like, I, I know it doesn't feel good to be gaslit sometimes. So when they update the way they do things, it can feel like, oh, this is the way we're doing things. Therefore, that's the way we always done things. So the way you were believing is just crazy. Uh, we were having this conversation not too long ago about how some of the culture things are changing. And, and so for us that have been out, um, or at least we were expected to live a certain way and current members are not expected to live that way. You know, it can feel like, hey, you can't change it. But if the church is improving and getting better, we... we it's okay to give them an off ramp. I think uh, another thing I've learned are are wise and admirable people in the church and out of the church. And there are shallow and stuck individuals in the church and out of the church. And then also I've realized that leaving the church didn't make me suddenly cure my black and white thinking. I'm an engineer. That is kind of how I am. So I'm going to have some of those same problems, even on this side of belief. <laughs> Uh, or whatever I believe now. And then, um, yeah, I'm not suddenly wise and correct. I'm probably almost as wrong as I was before. <laughs> uh, and it didn't cure me of confirmation bias. It didn't cure me of tribalism. Here's some more books that I've read in the last couple of years. Bridges by David Osler. Um, I, I consider David Osler a friend. He has a, he, he is doing some amazing work, trying to build bridges from the faithful side. And if his book bridges, um, for some reason, it was really healing to have an active member acknowledge, uh, acknowledge the real reasons people leave. Um, I don't know why, uh, but interacting with faithful members and them being okay with where I'm at has been healing for me. Um, he talks about in that book, five to one ratio of, um, heavy conversations to positive interactions. And so, you know, I talk about, um, all those heavy conversations I had with my dad. I don't think it was wrong to do that, but I think it was wrong to do that every single time I talked to my dad, have the heavy conversations deepen those relationships is my, has been my kind of goal, but to also have positive interactions that aren't heavy in between. And it, it seems to be working okay. And honestly, sometimes I just avoid them altogether because I'm not ready for them, but um, how to have impossible conversations. That's more politically written, um, but I think it relates. Um, there's this quote in there, beliefs matter because people act on their beliefs. So whether they're true or not, um, and, it, and it's far easier to be wrong than right. So, I mean, even there's something I'm probably believing now that's probably wrong as well. So um, 
even if you don't believe what they're believing, to see it from their perspective is sometimes important if you're trying to have a conversation with them. Um, I really love The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. It kind of gets you out of the thinking I'm right, they're wrong, and just kind of explains that different personalities kind of lean certain ways in their beliefs. It's also more politically written, I think, but um, just want to read this quote. If, if you really want to change someone's mind on a moral or political matter, you need to see things from that person's angle as well as your own. And if you do truly see it from, their, from the other person's point of view, um, deeply intuitively, you might even find your own mind opening in response. Empathy is an antidote to righteousness, although it's very difficult to empathize across uh, a moral divide. And so two things there I want to emphasize is that if you're, if um, sometimes I, you get into like these books and you're like, it's, it's justifying where you're at and you forget this line right here, you might even find your own mind opening in response. So, um, and I think that's why it's so difficult to empathize across the moral divide is because you want to use these tools to help change them to think more like you, but you're really unwilling to correct your own thinking if you're wrong on something. Timing, I think that, um, I, I don't know what the formula is. I'm trying to figure this out because I want to know the right thing to do, the very exact right thing to do. And um, this has been hard for me to just realize that it's a case by case basis. It's a person to person thing. It's a timing thing there are definitely ups and downs. And I think sometimes we do have to set boundaries and, and that's okay. You have to take care of yourself, but I also don't think they have to be permanent. I was talking about this in a podcast uh, with a friend and we were talking about the same problem, like me trying to figure out what the exact rules are. Right. <laughs> anyway, that's something I've kind of thought about is I don't think they're permanent. I feel like as I've grown, I can expose myself to more topics and settings than I could a year ago. Um, we went to a niece's baptism and I was able to look at it like kind of symbolically and it really wasn't that hard. I was able to look at it as a family gathering and not as a indoctrination thing. And, and it was more of a sweet experience than a triggering experience. And I've also learned to reframe, like that's how I've reframed some things. Another thing I reframed. So I, after that, after that experience with my parents where I came back and asked them how they were doing, I, I was like, and my dad said, I'm okay. I believe you'll come back. <laughs> and I know that can really bother a lot of people. And, you know, I looked at it from his perspective and from his perspective, the highest good is being a member of the church. And so he wants the highest good for me. And I was able to reframe that in a way that wasn't negative for me. And I really, it didn't, it didn't bother me. I was like, yeah, that's where my dad's at. My dad believes that this is the best thing for me. So it shouldn't bother me that he wants the best thing for me. I really like this quote by David Osberger. Uh, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. This is uh, a quote that they talk about a lot at three practices. And I'll explain a little bit more what that is. Um, but I honestly can't believe the power of just listening to somebody and leaving off the butt when I disagree. And I've felt it when people have been willing to listen to me, brother that came to me after we told people that we did not believe anymore. And he came and he listened and that he just said, how is this happening? And that meant a lot to me and my husband. And, um, I realize now he was listening to me and that's the same thing as him showing his love for me. And, um, Anyway, and, I, and I've noticed as I have been willing to listen um, and validate where they're at, it's almost always reciprocated in my interactions with people. I was talking about three practices a little bit. If you're interested in practicing listening, it's at threepractices.com and they have this philosophy and it goes something like when you like the person you're talking to, the rules change. The three practices are... I will be unusually interested in others. I will stay in the room with difference and I will stop comparing my best with your worst. They set up these rules and based on the rules, there's really no way to argue. And uh, the way it kind of works, it's a Zoom meeting and there's a framing question and they ask for a volunteer to take two minutes and then 
other volunteers ask clarifying questions. And a ref keeps track of the time and makes sure the rules are followed. And it, it's interesting because basically gives people a chance to be heard. And then you can ask more questions. You can practice your curiosity and try to figure out why they think that. David Osler has kind of a sub three practices website called Bridges. I think it's bridgeslds.com where they are Mormon related circles topics. Like there's just a lot of pain on both sides. I think that's why sometimes these relationships are so hard is because there's really not a strong party to take the weight. Those are some resources if you're interested in like actually practicing. Another example of meeting my friend where she's at. So we went on a long car ride and we were talking about goals. Uh, we're both part of this uh, goal program for like weight loss. And we were talking about our big why and like trying to figure out how to do these goals. And uh, an elder Bednar talk popped into my head that was totally related. And I was able to bring that up just to kind of support what we were saying. And then I think she was shocked that I used church stuff to support <laughs> what we were talking about. I let her know that I want to support her. If there's something good in the church, I, I want to keep it. And she really appreciated it and opened up a beautiful conversation where she was able to ask me where I was at because she never she was curious about where I was at, but she didn't feel like she could ask me because she didn't want to be nosy. So it just opened that up for her. And then we had a really nice conversation. So this is a, a quote that came up on my Facebook feed. I am a fan of Jordan Peterson. I know some people don't like him, but Sorry, I like them. Um, you are not obligated to associate with people who are making your life worse. So bottom line is, if you need to step away from a relationship because they're making your life worse, I, I mean, if you need permission to do that, here it is. <laughs> Just remember it goes both ways because if you are doing something to them where from their perspective, you're damaging their, the structure of their being, they're going to want to move away from you too. So it goes both ways. Talk about losing their family or losing their church friends and stuff because like I I live you know outside of Los Angeles and the church is not a big part of anything here and so when I was still kind of nominally a member of the church uh, I read a series of books called Tales of the City uh, by Armistead Maupin and for the gay community he coined the term um our logical family. And we also call it family of choice. And if you're partially or totally rejected by your biological family, we need to find our logical family or family of choice to partially or completely replace our biological families. And I have a very large logical family. Um, and then, you know, at church, sometimes when you move into a ward, you find instant friends. And when you move away from the church, a lot of time those friends go away. And so you need to find your logical or friends of choice. So it's not just your family. And, and I'm in the position where my parents and uh, two of my three siblings are, have already died. And, you know, I have nieces and nephews, but nobody lives within six hours. So I really don't have any family that I'm super close to. And so my whole family, the people that, you know, we take each other to the hospital and are sitting there with surgeries and, you know, we do grocery shopping for each other when we're sick and stuff, but these are all friends. These aren't anybody that I'm related to. So thanks, Bruce. So, um, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Okay. Now let's talk about what our audience has just listened to. A little bit more in depth just because it is so good you quoted somebody that i want to just clarify um who this is real quick was it david burns that you're quoting you said this is from neil satin's youtube page so i didn't know if it was are you talking about neil satin's quote or david burns's quote but you talk about um you, you share some of his quotes that are great so can you clarify who that is and where people can find it yes um so david burns uh, wrote the book feeling good together and um, I wanted to give Neil Satin credit for that audio because it was on his YouTube channel okay. is where I found those clips and he interviewed David Burns. So most of the audio that you're hearing is David Burns. Um, there was a moment there where I, Neil Satin's voice is asking him a question 
Um, but the, yeah, the, the, the main voice that you're hearing is David Burns himself. I see. He's, and he wrote the book. So that's great. Can you tell us um, again what the book was called? Uh, Feeling Good Together. Yes. Okay, yeah. great. Awesome. Yep. How did you discover that book? Okay, so I read another book and it re- referenced um, his, I think the one he's most known for is called Feeling Good. And it's basically, <clears throat> I actually think I have a copy of it right here. I should, well, you can't see. So <laughs> I'm going to read off of the cover of it though, because the cover, and he wrote it a really long time ago. So it's a, it was a bestseller. Um, it's, it was a way to overcome depression, conquer anxiety, enjoy greater intimacy is what it says on the cover of the book. Anyway, so I was looking for the audiobook of feeling good and, um, it's cognitive therapy, like cognitive, just trying to, so basically in that book, he claims that you tell yourself lies and that's sometimes why you don't feel good, like why you're having depression and stuff. And so you can overcome some of that by, um, by, writing down like, okay, what am I, what am I thinking to myself? Anyways. Um, so I heard about cognitive therapy and I wanted to read this book and it was checked out, but feeling good together came up and I was like, okay, well, I'll just read that book, listen mm-hmm. to that book. And it was kind of related, but not really. Um, cause, and he explains in the book, it's different when you're working with yourself versus working with another person, because you have to get through a couple of barriers, which I talk yeah. about. Yes, which we talked about. So anyways, so that's how I came to find that book is because I was looking for a different one and I found it. (laughs) You weren't even trying to find anything about like interrelational things when Mm -hmm. you came across it. That's I'm so glad that you did. Okay. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Um, One thing I really loved that you talked about um, was how you said one of the best ways to win a battle was by drawing a larger circle around others or something. I don't know if you listened to Richard Osler's, sorry, also I'm a little bit distracted because my <laughs> toddler is banging on the door in the background, which maybe won't even pick up on the audio. But if, if I seem like I'm a little bit like a little bit distracted, there is a reason for that. Um, it's just part of my life. Motherhood is fine. I, I, yep. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> but Richard Osler, his recent podcast, I remember him saying something about the talk stay in the boat and how if we're going to stay in the boat is referencing you know to the structure of the church organization that we're going to need a bigger boat you know to quote jaws <laughs> and um i kind of thought that might have been a parallel to what you were saying like we need to draw a bigger circle or if we make our boat bigger so that other people can fit in it does that seem like a similar vein to you yeah um yeah, I, I feel like when you're talking about difference divides, it seems like we do as just as people have a lot more in common. And when we focus on the things we don't have in common, it's really hard to see like the humanity in each other. We seem to naturally be a little bit tribal. And, and so if you're, I feel like when you're trying to um, cross those barriers, you you do have to draw a bigger circle. You have to see what you have in common. You have to see what it's, it's fascinating because I think a lot of times we see someone as the thing that we disagree with them about. And then if we actually got to know that person, we'd find out we have common interests. We have similar goals. We have similar struggles in life. We have similar, um, yeah, like we have similar trials or whatever. I don't know. Like we just, we have a lot more in common with each other. So um, it's, but you kind of have to not only focus on the things you disagree with in order to be able to overcome that. So, um, but yeah, that, yeah. Like, I think you do have to do that when you're having conversations with people is you have to see yourself in them sometime. Maybe that's a way to put it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I can see, I can see that. (laughs) Okay. I think, um, I just like the comparison there. Um, and I like how you're saying we can see each other inside. And I think a lot of times we do things that naturally make our own circles smaller and we just need to bring awareness into making it bigger and seeing, I think you said, even 
um, all the different things that you were saying that could be similar that we don't see. I think that there's even underlying beliefs that we have more in common than we allow ourselves to see when we're shrinking our circles or we're making our boat smaller or whatever it is that we're doing. We're taking it all the way back to the initial um, initial underlying beliefs must be so different from my initial underlying belief when in reality, we probably have a lot in common, even at that level. So I love the idea of drawing bigger circles around, um, getting to those initial places, finding similarities, even in a very deep way. Uh, I know we have to start at the surface a lot, but when we do make those bigger circles or make bigger boats and make room to continue to converse with these people, I think even the internal initial underlying beliefs we find are not that different from our own. And these people are not, not so different as we often think. So I, right. I love that. Right. Yeah. And it was interesting because the, the book that I was listening to when I had that thought, when I talked about that um, in that presentation, it it's, it's interesting because he was really talking about uh, like kind of political in the political world and mm-hmm. how we should draw bigger circles. So, and that's how you actually, um, that's how you actually move things forward is like drawing things bigger and not, and not um, fighting, I guess you have to like draw the bigger circle. And um, so it was interesting because it, that thought sparked like, Oh, this is why I'm not getting along with my dad is because I keep on focusing on the things we disagree with and not what we have in common and not what, you know, that he's my dad and we have a lot, we have a lot in common. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he's my family and, and yeah. So. Well, that makes me want to say two things right away. One of them is a quote I came across today that was like by Abraham Lincoln, I think. And I'm looking it up here. So this is the quote. If you would win a man to your cause, first convince him that you are his sincere friend. I think in that sense, it's not about winning to the cause, but if you can see another person's side without making it be about uh, a battle, but more like a, I'm open to hearing your side and I'm willing to consider it, then they're more likely to do the same thing for your side. So it made me think of that quote, first of all. And then the other thing it made me think of was um, what you talked about with your dad, um, it reminds me of the intent versus impact episode that I did a while ago that just, Marty, you're so mature. I love the way you chose to look at what your dad said. It was your maturity that made it possible for you to see his intent instead of just seeing um, your own impact with what he said that could have been very hurtful in that situation. And I wish all people could extend that grace. And I just, I applaud, I applaud your maturity. I applaud it. I think it's an incredible example that you set forth in and choosing to say, oh, my dad said this out of the goodness of his heart, and I'm going to choose to give him grace and not be offended by it, because I know to him that that was a kind thing to say. That was so, I just I, applaud that for you. Thank you for being that example. I actually find it, like, empowering, because I feel like when you allow other people to say something and let it affect you in a way that is detrimental to you, like, it actually, it, it goes back to I remember learning things like this at church, like when you are holding a grudge, it's hurting you more than that person. Sometimes that other person isn't even aware of it. And I know that a lot of the ideas like in the political world are trying to be aware of those things and not say those things so that you're not hurting people. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to be more precise with your speech and just be aware that some of the things that you might say hurt people, but I know that I put my foot in my mouth all the time. And so it just seems like the right thing to do to grant grace to people and to understand the intent of what they're saying and not, um, I don't know how to, how to explain it. Like, I think it's important the way people intend things, even if their intent isn't true, just like you just said, Mm -hmm. even if their impact ends up being harmful to somebody's um, perspective, I think if you don't at least give them that grace, that intent, like it won't come back around to you either. Like, it's almost like it's a necessity when you're talking to people that disagree, like, and honestly at fundamental levels, like there are some like fundamental differences that make it um, these differences. Like if, if we can't talk it out, then it's gonna be a war and I would rather have peace. <laughs> 
<laughs> ultimately. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like, I feel like talking, learning how to talk to each other and learning how to express our ideas is an important thing, because I think that's why we do live. We enjoy peace right now. I think that's why. So anyways, anyway, that's getting down to like a, a boring level. So sorry. Sorry. No, you're <laughs> fine. I, I appreciate that. Like that's where you are with your dad and I think a lot of it is the way you choose to react to that is like, I'm not going to fuel a fire that you didn't even know that you lit, you know? Right. That's right. just so much drama that you, you were able to prevent. Um, and again, I applaud you for it. So good job. And I'm so <laughs> glad that people can hear that example. Um, well, I guess it depends on what you want. Do you, would you rather have the relationship or would you rather be in, in the fight? And that's actually what Dave Burns talks about because he actually has you go through exercises. If you read his book, feeling good together. He has you go through exercises to figure out if you really want a good relationship with someone else, because we actually do get something out of a bad relationship. Cause like mm. he talks about in that podcast, we like to think, Oh yeah, we all want a good relationship. Of course we do. But if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes we enjoy the drama. Sometimes we enjoy being able to have people pal around us and say, Oh, I can't believe someone said that to you. Oh my gosh. And so if, mm -hmm. if we're kind of lying to ourselves, if we don't admit that that feels good to some extent. And so you have to decide that you would rather have the relationship rather than those other things that actually do give you something. So, wow. um, he, David Burns, a lot of people don't like him. Um, so <laughs> or not, maybe not a lot of people. Um, I, I published my audio as well on my podcast and I got some comments and someone was saying that they didn't like David Burns. And I was like, that's interesting. I'd be curious to know, like, if there are some things that he said that, um, like well, what it is about what he's saying. Cause to me, it's empowering to not give that control to somebody else to make you feel bad. Right. Of course you're keeping that control for yourself and kind of like a stoic. Um, so it, it's fascinating to me that, um, I, I, again, I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be careful with what you say and you shouldn't tr try to be aware and experienced enough to know, you know, not to put your foot in your mouth and, and not do it when you learn that it, 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 it does hurt people. Right. Like, but at the same time, it doesn't help to be offended. It's like David Bednar's talk. I actually still like that talk. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. um, don't offend people, but also don't be offended. It's kind of, it's got to be tried from both sides because we're so terrible at, um, trying to be right all the time. Yeah. I think it gives accountability for both the intent that's given and the way you're, you have to be accountable for how it impacts you as well. You sure. can't pin it on the other person. Yeah. And thanks but for taking responsibility, right? Too. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. like what it means to be accountable is you take responsibility and you look at that. Um, I love yeah. how you said, I'd be curious to know <laughs> because that's part of the, the three circles, um, which I think you talked a little bit about there as well. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about that, um, where people can find if you're still, you know, being a facilitator I, for that? Yeah, I, I've been so busy. Um, I, my goal was to do a couple a month. Um, so there are these, uh, zoom circles and, uh, you have a ref and there's a topic and basically it's a discussion group kind of, um, I guess maybe is a good way to put it. You've been a part of them. I would um, say that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And so there's there's some topic that is posted and you sign up to be a part of the group and you can either listen or you can uh, take two minutes and talk about the topic or you can just ask questions. Um, it's whatever level of participation you want. And they can be super interesting conversations. Um, I've loved it. Most of the people there um, definitely disagree with me on a lot of things. And I've I don't know. You see some of the same people come to those circles and I, I just have a great deal of respect for them still. Like, it's just a really cool way to practice listening mm -hmm. and trying to understand why people believe what they believe. Um, I love it so much. Yeah. So it's three practices.com is where you can find circles. David Osler um, also has um, L, uh, it's called bridges LDS.com where he hosts some um, right. I don't know. He's not actively like trying to get people to come. Um, it's hard to get people to sign up. Um, I think they're so cool, but it's just, you know, people have to take time out of their day and maybe they don't, I don't know, people don't necessarily sign up for them. And so it's hard being available all the time when you only have like three people show up. So, <laughs> um, but True. the, the three practices.com one um, has like a bigger group of people that 
um, are usually there. So that's a good place to go to see what it's all about. I'm, I haven't even looked at the Bridges website, so I don't know what's going on there. I'm guilty as well, but I totally encourage listeners that are interested to, to look that up, the three practices.com and then David Osler's three practices.com. <laughs> yeah. Just to even like zoom into one of them and you can just like have your camera off. You can have your name off. You can just observe, like you don't have to say anything. It's great. So do you know, I think you are aware of the quote that says um, something to the effect of like listening is so close to loving that to the average person, it's almost indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. And just how, when we do the three circles, you are really learning to listen to people. And I'm sure that if it hasn't happened to you already, there will be a point in your life where someone that you love very much uh, disagrees with you and they need to be listened to in order to feel that you love them. So I strongly encourage people to practice listening. And I think that the three circles is a great tool for that. Um, one thing I love that you said was that when you did make the decision to step away from the church, you said, um, switching did not cure me of tribalism or of my biases or my black and white thinking or any of those things, which is, um, very, a great mature thing to, to share with everybody about your personal experience. And I agree that I see, you know, from, from this side of the bridge, if you will, I often would think like, oh, people who are having a hard heart are going to be on the outside of where I am. But Mm. I think that on the inside of this side, people are hard hearted a lot. They don't want to take, um, advice or direction contrary to what they already thought was true. They, it's hard to be spiritually humble. Um, Mm -hmm. just that those things are very human and they can, you can find human traits on either side of any divide. And I left that you pointed that out. So thanks for sharing that as well. Yeah. And I loved how you said, you know, I'm going to follow the golden rule. I don't want people to try and save my soul. I'll not going to try and do that to them. Just very, very respectful. I love the way that you approach people with respect and you, you think really hard about how you can be better. And I try and do that all the time too. So, um, I would, I would leave it to you to, to share anything you want to wrap up with. I know you mentioned you've got a podcast. If you want to say anything about that, feel free. Yeah. Um, so it's called, where will you go? And I think I have like eight episodes. Um, my favorite episodes are probably with John Verveke. Um, he is a guy that I came across because I watched a Jordan Peterson interview mm-hmm. and I saw him on there and I think it was called like the four horsemen of meaning or something like that. And it was very fascinating because honestly, when it gets into like religious debates, I think people are missing the point. I don't think the argument is actually about whether something physically happened. I, I, disagree that that's the point of religion. Um, and so I find a lot of people, um, I, I, I honestly don't, (laughs) my home is with people that are, it's so hard to describe. Um, I feel homeless, like Brene Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness, um, Mm -hmm. is very, uh, very interesting to me. She has, uh, uh, I, in my first episode, I, I played a clip of her and she was talking about an experience where she would get asked to speak at a religious uh, church or something and they'd say, please don't swear. And then she would get asked to speak at a corporate thing and they'd be like, please don't talk about religion. <laughs> and she's just <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I, I don't belong anywhere. Nobody really wants me. And then her husband like reminded her, no, everybody wants you. Like you belong everywhere. And, and then there's that quote, um, uh, we should look it up so that I can like actually put it in your podcast. Cause I want to give her credit. Okay. You can belong anywhere and nowhere. It's like, um, Angela, Angela or Milo, Angela. I'm just thinking of Michelangelo, honestly. I, I know, know it. <laughs> Mia, Mia, Maya Angelo. Okay, so it's a Maya Angelou quote, and she says, "You are, you are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no place at all. The price is high, but the reward is great." I think is the rest of that. Anyways, I could be wrong about that last bit. I didn't read that part, so I just read that. Um, <laughs> anyways, so yeah, and and so you do feel it's interesting because you do need to feel like you belong. And what I've found is that I I belong to the people I know personally, like. I belong to the people that I know that are 15 feet from me. And so if, especially where I've kind of started publishing some stuff, like I basically 
I don't know that there's any person out there that like completely agrees with me. And I hold views that are contrary to a lot of people's deeply held beliefs. And so they automatically don't like me. And I, Mm. and so you you feel like you don't belong anywhere and it, and it hurts when you don't belong anywhere. But as I've met like ex-Mormon friends that I don't necessarily agree with politically, and I've got to know them and stuff and they have these big hearts and, and, and they like me despite disagreeing. Right. And I've maintained my friendships with my Mormon friends and my neighbors. And even though they know I've left and I think it's kind of hard for them, I'm assuming, I don't know, maybe it's not, maybe they don't care, but um, it feels like there's an elephant in the room sometimes. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. but as I've, as I've um, tried to maintain those friendships, they've accepted me still. And so what I found as long as you're not a jerk and in people's faces and trying to tell them they're wrong all the time, they're usually okay with you. And yeah, they, they want the best for you and they want to support you in becoming the best version of yourself. Like they want to support you. So anyway, I just, I found as I met people personally on a personal level, that's, that's where the bigger circle comes in. Like, um, I don't know. I, I feel like our ideologies are less important than the the relationships that we have in person, you know? So Anyways, I think that's nice. Yeah. Like the yeah. main, the main debate about religion isn't so much about the actual physical event, but more about our willingness to, I don't know, look at people and not be a jerk and self-improvement, know, right? Basic like become, things becoming like wise that. And, yeah. and trying to overcome self-deception and trying to become the best version of yourself. Like to me, that's, I, I think what any religion that I look at, that's what I see the game that they're playing. Mm. And I don't have a problem with that game. And when people start getting into the details, not that they don't matter, but it's a different argument. It's a different different argument. Yeah. Yeah, It's a different argument that I'm uninterested in. Like, I just don't care if I, I believe what I believe, you know, and when people start arguing about like this having to be true in order for, they get in, I don't know. It just, it gets, I think they're missing the point. <laughs> um, so it's just uninteresting to me, I guess. Well, so. I'm, thank you for sharing that. I, I know I got to let you go, but no, was there anything nice. you wanted to say about, I know you mentioned Jordan Peterson and David Burns and a couple Brene Brown and the Mia Angelo. I think Maya is how you Maya. Say it. Was but, there anybody yeah. else you wanted to pay tribute to or point people into a direction of for any reason? Oh, I highly recommend The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. That also kind of, I think that gives humanity to people you disagree with. You're like, oh, maybe it's a personality thing. Maybe they're not believing that because they're stupid or terrible people or evil, but maybe it's because we're just different in personality and they are attracted to those ideas and I'm attracted to these ideas. Like it just um, kind of helps understand, like he has some research that basically supports that. So what a much more pleasant and beautiful way to approach other people than to judge them or label them as stupid <laughs> when you <laughs> yes. could look at them as like, Oh, that's just their different reality. So, yeah. That oh, so, and that's one of the quotes that I said in the podcast too. And there's a piece in that kind of like you were saying earlier, how we should, the, the Abraham Lincoln quote that you mentioned is a lot like the Jonathan Haidt one that I mentioned, which is kind of like, as you actually understand their intent and where they're coming from, it, it it can even change your mind a little bit. And that's the, that's the part where we want to use these tools to get people to agree with us. And we forget the part that we might be wrong. (laughs) You know, like we don't have the humility to be like, Oh, maybe I'm missing the point. Right. Like, right. And as soon as we embrace or try to have that humility, I think that we can say, oh, there's things that I was wrong about without being totally shaken over or like, yeah. oh, there's room for me to grow in a way that isn't some sort of negative. Oh, I was wrong about this. And it was everything horrible that I imagined it would be, but rather like, oh, I was wrong about this and I can change it. And it's not that big of a deal. I think that is the humility I hope we can all seek for. Yeah. Yeah. We're all trying to hopefully become a better person and yeah, overcome some of those, uh, natural tendency, the natural man, if you will, <laughs> I will. Cause you know, that's what I do. That's how I roll. That's what I describe that as. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Marty. You, your light keep on shining. Um, thanks for sharing all your resources. If you want to send me your a link, link to your podcast, the episode that you liked is so much that you mentioned, I'd be happy to put that in the show notes. So yeah, thanks. And now it is time for tidbits and takeaways with Taylor. 
the part of the show where Taylor comes out and shares her tidbits and takeaways. For those of you that watch VeggieTales, if you know, you know. Um, anyway, let's dive right on in. Honestly, being the bridge builder type, I want all relationships to be reconciled like this, where we can talk across difference divides, but I do recognize that this isn't always the case. And sometimes it's just not always the time. Maybe it will be the case with that relationship one day, but it's not the time for that right now. And I like that David Burns gives space to honor that that is the case sometimes. Like, maybe we want the drama. That's a question to ask yourself. Do you want the drama? Or do you want to build a bridge? Does that person want the drama or does that person want to build a bridge? I hope that it's a bridge, but I'm not in control. I love that Marty is seeking for deep relationships over shallow ones, same. Although again, I'll say there's a place and there's a time for shallow relationships too, and you're not required to bury your soul with everyone across your metaphorical bridge. I just think it's great when everyone can. You can't change other people, you can only change yourself, so own that responsibility. Ooh, I love this. When you're defending yourself, you prove that their criticism is founded in something. You give them a little ground to stand on if you get defensive. That's, that is something worth thinking about a couple of times. Don't just avoid all the belittling statements, but try not to believe them anymore. I love that Marty says, I used to say things like they're just doing mental gymnastics or they're brainwashed, but now instead of saying them, I'm, I'm trying not to even think it. I thought that was beautiful. And I, I hope we're doing the same thing on both, both sides. She's just, she's a great example of that side of the bridge. I hope you're applying, if you're on the other side of the bridge, if you're a listener on the other side of the bridge, I hope you're finding ways to apply what Marty said to your own side of the bridge too, because it's just good stuff. It's beautiful stuff. One thing that Marty said that I think I always need to remember is it is a case by case basis. You know, I'm always looking for the simple, easy, one size fits all solution. And thanks Marty for the reminder that it's a case by case basis, each relationship. Hopefully some of these tips have been helpful today and hopefully you go share it with somebody that could use it. I love it when we share. Well, bye. Thank you for listening. Building Bridges is brought to you by me, Taylor Niebergall, and the hardworking volunteers who co-host with me. The music was written and recorded by Bethany Sorensen. If you like what you've heard, consider submitting a review or sharing it with others. To submit ideas, contact me at buildingbridges.taylor at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page, Building Bridges Podcast. When you all start crashing.